series on the mission of our church, Faith Christian Fellowship's mission, um, to Penn, Lucy, Baltimore, and the world. And uh, today we're focusing on serving, in particular, Penn, Lucy, which is our neighborhood here that our church is in, from Greenmount over to the Alameda, from uh, 43rd down to 39th. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to focus uh, on God's Word today. Um, but we're going to share a little bit of application about what that looks like here. And so the, the, the sermon today is called Authentic Service. We want to look at what does it look like to authentically serve as Christians. And so I have, I have three points, like every good Presbyterian. And those points are uh, giving the gospel, giving our lives, and giving them dignity. Giving the gospel, giving our lives, and giving them dignity. Please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 um, as we get started here. Please follow with me. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. To declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while proclaiming to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know that while a, you know how like a father and his children we exhorted you each, of you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have brought us together, Lord, that we would get to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that you would challenge us um, in what it looks like to serve authentically with the gospel, with our lives, and to uh, the people that we're empowering to follow you and to live holy. Lord Jesus, use this sinner who's, who's preaching today, and Father, I pray that you would allow us to worship you in a way that we're refreshed and you're glorified. And so, Lord, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, the only name that saves. Amen. I went to college in Florida uh, at a school called Southeastern University, and that college uh, was a Christian college, an Assembly God College, and... Um, at this college, uh, while I was there, there was a, a kind of a, a theology movement there, because we all had to take Bible classes, called the uh, postmodern or emergent church movement. 
And a lot of my friends started to kind of question a lot of their faith in this movement and what's really real and is there absolute truth and all these questions. And kind of what it got down to for a lot of people was uh, at the end of it, they said, well, we're not really sure what all this means, but we know that God would want us to love. And so they would, they, they kind of tried to throw a little bit of their, their teaching away that they grew up with and, and decided to be more active in social engagement because that's what God really cared about more than anything. And so this was kind of a phenomenon. And, and, and where we were in college was we were in Lakeland, which is right in between Tampa, the city of Tampa, and the city of Orlando. And, and they had just passed two laws in both those cities, or one law in one city, one law in the other, that you weren't allowed to feed the homeless because Florida attracts so many homeless people because of the nice weather. And because of that, they all migrated to Lakeland. So in, in the particular community we'll be talking about in a minute, there could be around 300 to maybe 500 homeless people. And it wasn't a very large city. But it was just because of the migration. Lakeland's kind of a Bible Belt place. Churches tend to give a lot of food out and resources to people that are homeless. And so it was a nice place to be able to live. So the kids at my college, the students, my fellow students, would engage in this. They'd go out Friday nights and they'd buy pizza and they'd serve them. But they didn't know how to bring anything truth about God, nor did they think it was important. And so th this was hard for me because I, I wanted to engage in that. I saw that as a really good thing those students were doing. They were active. They were getting out there. But I didn't want to give up the Bible. I didn't want to give up God and the way I viewed him through the Bible. And so I wanted to find a place where I could do both. I could really serve, and I could really keep my faith and my orthodox in my, in my religion. And so I, I, ran in, I ran into a ministry called Parker Street Ministries. A friend on campus worked for them. He's now their pastor of their church, and he's a good friend of ours, and they're in the same denomination as us. And they were located in, the, in one of the roughest communities in Lakeland. This is, a, this is a strip on one of the streets there. There's, it was a bunch of abandoned homes, and a lot of times homeless people lived in there. Uh, and, they had, uh, and it was actually at one point, uh, I think while I was there, the capital, uh, per capita, it was, the, it was the capital of methamphetamines. So it was a very rough place as far as it was very poor, much poorer than Baltimore. Uh, it, you never saw kids wear any kind of authentic Jordans or polo or Lacosta. They all had like Walmart clothes for the most part. And uh, it was just very, very poor. However, it wasn't nearly as violent as Baltimore. Um, so I started to go, he invited me, and he actually offered me a job to work there for the summer. Now this was back in January. And uh, I said, well, before I decide, let me come check you guys out and see what you're about. So I started to serve by coming twice a week after class and tutoring. And I had a bunch of elementary kids that I would tutor. And it was amazing to me. I started to really like it because I met their director, Tim, who lived in the community. And he had been there for 13 years. And he's an Arkansas boy. And he had long hair, which is why I want to have long hair. No, I'm just kidding. And he, he, was a, he was a short guy, tried to kind of walk around like he was big. And he, he wore, drove a pickup truck. He liked country music. And he didn't fit anything in the culture there at all. Uh, but God used him. And he came, and he, he would give us a tour around the community and help us to meet people. And it was amazing to me how well he loved and served the people and how much he connected the gospel to all those things. But it was also amazing to me that he just had story after story. It was amazing. He shared one story one time where he was out late at night. He would go witness to the drug dealers on the corner. He'd bring his chair there, 
and he would sit and read his Bible next to them. He's kind of crazy. And he would, he would do that, and they would ask him to leave, and he would say no, because he felt like he, had, he wanted to have ownership in this community, and that the problems in this community were going to become his problems. He wasn't going to run from them. And so he kind of had, a, he had like a warrior heart that was really contagious. It made you like you could run through a wall with, with Tim. But, but one time he was walking home, and a guy pulled a gun on his back. And he turned around, and he said, I don't have any money to give you, but I have the gospel to give you. And that guy fell to his knees and gave his life to Christ right there. This guy, this guy is not anything special. You meet him, he's just, just like you and I. He's an ordinary guy. But he would say these stories. But what happened was I started to think, where did he get this boldness from to serve this way? Where did he learn to have the courage to be an authentic server of God this way? And that's a serious question because... For some of us, like me, it's scary to go to places that are dangerous or hard and try to interact or do things that are good there or share the gospel there. And so I, as I think of Tim, I started thinking, what gave him the courage to do that? And, and that's the question we're going to be asking today. Where do we get the courage, the boldness, to be an authentic servant of God in communities in Baltimore and particularly for us in communities like Penn Lucy? Let's go back to our text. And we're going to look at the first four verses. But I want to give you a quick history. So this is a letter. This book is a letter to the church of, in Thessalonica. And the church in Thessalonica was a, uh, a port city like Baltimore. It had a harbor and had lots of different cultures there. They had Egyptian cults. They had Greek cults. They had a lot of Roman influence. It was under the Roman Empire. And so you had a great diversity of people there. And so... Paul, who is the author of this, with Silas and Timothy, both, uh, all three were on a missionary journey and passing through the city. If you look at the book of Acts, which is the history book in the Bible of whole, the, how the church got started, you understand that he wrote this letter while he was in Corinth, which was another city, because he had lost contact with these people. And so they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have email, they couldn't just get to them. When Paul was there last time, the, the, the Jewish community kicked him out because he was saying things like, Jesus is Lord. And that language, Jesus is Lord, would be like saying, Jesus is president. And it would be like the people in America saying, no, we have a president already. You're trying to start a, like a war. And so they wanted to throw him out. And so he couldn't get back there, and, and it became very hard on the church there. So Paul intentionally did not come back out of love for those people because he did not want it to disturb them. And if you look at Acts 17, you'll see Jason, who was a character in, in, the, in the, Acts 17 who was in the city of uh, Thessalonica, and he, he basically had to pay off the government there to promise that he wouldn't bring Paul back. And, so it, and it was kind of a promise. They took money from him. So there was a lot of pressure. So that kind of, that kind of feedback helps us understand the start, but what we also see is that Paul sent Timothy to them because he couldn't go. This is, so he wanted to have communication. He wanted to see how the church was doing, so he sent Timothy to them, and Timothy came back and reported, and this is a letter based on that reporting. This is a communication on that reporting, and there was some good stuff. You see in chapter 3, I heard good stuff about you guys from Timothy, but there was also some negative stuff. Some people had died in their church, and so they were, they were mourning. 
some people had uh, were getting tired of being kind of oppressed by the by the government there, and they were wondering what it, what do we do with these certain things. So Paul was addressing those, and then there was a lot of questions on, are we sure we're Christians? Because we're wondering when God's going to come back. Paul kept talking about that. Are we sure we're Christians? And Paul constantly reassures them of their love for God and God's love for them in this. But as we come to chapter 2, and what we're going to be hearing from Paul, is he's trying to persuade them that he is giving them the real stuff. He is going to try to let them know through two things. Number one, He's intimate with them. He knew them. He had been there and spent time with them before he got kicked out. And so he wants them to know, I know you well. I love you well. You can trust me. And the second thing is he's going to persuade them, as we're going to see, by some of the things he did while he was there to show the authenticity of his service and also the gospel that he preached. Let's look at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers... Now let's stop there. The word brothers is a term of endearment. He's not saying you guys or friends. He actually he puts them in his family, which is very interesting because when you think of a church, there right there is the language of family, right? He doesn't identify them just as friends, but as people that he loves. Keep going. That our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. There, Paul is now using a language that I know you, as you know, he says. He's saying, I know that you know, right? I know that you know because we spent time together and you're my brothers. And so there's this, there's this unity, there's this intimacy in the language there. But not only that, there's a persuasion there. He mentions Philippi. Why? They're not from Philippi. He mentions it because they know what happened to him in Philippi, and we do too from the book of Acts, that Paul was in prison there. He was beaten there. He was imprisoned there. And they treated him shamefully and unjustly there. And Paul basically wanted to put a quit in it. He said, I've had enough, basically. He didn't actually say that, but I'm saying that for him. Him and Timothy probably wanted to call quits there because it was getting hard. But God wanted them to go, and so he called them to go. And so he says, look, you know how bad it was in Philippi, right? But we still came to you, because, even though we knew it was going to be bad where you guys were too. Let's do a little application here. God sends Christians to dangerous places, doesn't he? God sends people to places that are hard, he sends places, people to places that are not desirable. He sends people to places that aren't always where we want to go. But, he says, we had a boldness. And we're going to come back to that word boldness throughout this sermon. But he had a boldness to go anyways. But the point here is that God uses those things, when we're obedient to him, to be authentic witnesses of the gospel. Because what did he say? We were bold in what? We were boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. The message, God cares about the message being going forward. The gospel is always preached with words. And it's always preached to people in relationship with words. 
And if we don't go, they will not hear. And if they do not hear, they will not know. God knows this, and Paul knew this, and that's why it was dear to him to go to these people. But he didn't go originally because he cared about the people. He went originally because he cared about God and what God wanted. And so what we need to realize is that God cares about communities like Penn Lucy. He cares about communities like Lutherville. He cares about communities everywhere. And one thing Tim said to me that was very encouraging, it makes me feel small, makes God feel big, is that God was here a long time before I ever came, and he'll be here a long time after I leave. It's not our ministry, it's his ministry. And it's a wonderful gift to be a part of it. It's a wonderful gift to be a part of it. But Paul, Paul's willing to enter into here was the gospel, and I need, to t- I need to hit on what that is. What is the gospel? Uh, let me pull, pull up here. The gospel for us as individuals is this. I use this in youth group a lot. Jesus is over here, and we are over here on the other side as his enemies. Okay, And there's a transaction that happened at the cross when Jesus died because he lived a perfect holy life and we lived nothing but a sinful, rebellious life against God. That once we repent, that means that we recognize that. That means that we turn from that and we look towards Jesus as our only hope. This is what happens. We become the righteousness and perfect record of Jesus. So when God looks at you, he no longer sees you, but he sees Jesus' perfect record on you. And his delight is on you. And when he said things like, this is my son who I'm well pleased with, he says that of you. But not only that, there's a transaction where we give our sin, our dishonor, our punishment, our hate, our enemyship. I know that's not a real word, but you get what I mean. To Jesus at the cross, and we surrender our lives and become his, last part, his witnesses. So this is the gospel that he's bringing forth. And there are three misconceptions of the gospel that I deal with often in ministry, particularly with youth. Number one, that God is a petty rule keeper. Uh, I broke a rule. Does God really care? Is it that big a deal that I broke a rule? If you're asking that question, I don't think that you're starting at the right point. I would start with what is the definition of sin? Sin isn't that you just broke a rule. It's not. Sin is a heart condition that says, I am king and God is not. And when you start to understand sin in that way, because you look at it as you say, I have an agenda, God has an agenda, I've chosen my agenda to be more important than God's. And when we start to see that, you can see your offense before the king of the universe. That you, his creation, have said, I rather rule myself. When you understand sin that way, then you can understand the gospel much better. If you think of it just as a bunch of rules, then God does become a petty rule keeper. But if you think of it as a heart condition where I am trying to have my own kingdom, and God's kingdom is the only real kingdom, then you realize you're at war, and that's why I use the word enemies. The second one is this, that I believe in Jesus, I will receive blessings and will have the best life now. I don't, want to, I don't like bad-mouthing anybody, but uh, The Best Life Now by Joel Olstein is just a bunch of crap. It, it, and if you're reading it, please stop. 
um, he's a really nice guy. He's good at being therapeutic, but he doesn't preach the gospel. And, and the gospel is, is something that it allows us to have joy here and now because we are so loved, because we are children of God now, because we know that no matter what happens to us here, we will be with God forever. And that God provides. David said he never has seen the people of God go hungry. He does provide. But he does not try to help you have a therapeutic, wonderful life here and now, necessarily based on receiving him. Uh, that's a manipulating into people to, to join your church or to join your ministry. And I have to be careful of it. Because I might not do it necessarily with money and things. But as a youth pastor, I can do it with games. I can do it with trips. I can do it with a bunch of other stuff. And if we're not careful, we're manipulating people into being a part of something that is supposed to be about God. We want to be authentic. This is not authentic. And the last one that I deal with a lot is that if I pray a prayer or I get baptized, then uh, I'm good and I don't have to like follow all the rules and stuff. First off, I hear that all the time. Christianity is not about following rules. Christianity is about the realizing that you didn't follow the rules, that you were a rebel against God's kingdom, and that you need him to save you and then transform you into the, to the love and the Imago Dei, which is the image of God that he wants you to be. But this is the thing, is that some people come to me and say, well, I've been baptized, or I've, I've prayed a prayer one time. And what I would say is that you, again, don't get that you don't have Jesus as just your Savior, and not your Lord. I'll give you an example. I found a pastor said this one time. He said, okay, imagine I came late to preach today and you guys were waiting 10 minutes for me. Where's Blake? Where's our youth director? We should fire him. He's late, right? And I come in and I say, oh, Pastor Craig, I'm sorry. I got hit by a truck on the way up here. I was walking up 41st and I hit by a truck. And I look like this though, right? <laughs> um, you would tell me that I'm a what? A liar. You're lying, Blake. No, 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 seriously. I, I got hit by a truck, but I'm just like Superman and you can't break me, right? Even my clothes. No, 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 there's no evidence you got hit by a truck. You're not limping, you're not bleeding, there's nothing is torn on you, right? The same thing I would say is true if you apply it. If, have you met God? If you really had an, a, a true regeneration of your heart, which is a biblical term for that your heart's been awakened to God, then your life will show something. And I'm not saying that you're necessarily perfect, because God knows I'm not. I have got so much sin, and you can ask my wife about it. But what I am saying is this, is that if you don't have any difference in you from that moment that you said you became a follower of Jesus, and you look just the same as you always have, I, I really want to question if you really know Jesus. And I want to do that because if you try to go tell people that you're like Jesus, like my neighbor heard, and I'm going to say that story in a second, then you're really, really a false witness of the gospel and the power of what God does in people's lives. And it's a false testimony to the whole church. We need to make sure that we are truly saved. That's a huge thing, not just for our own eternal purposes, but for the idea that we represent God as witnesses. That's huge. My neighbor Jermaine drove me the other day uh, to the airport. He's, he's just a wonderful guy. And he, he helps out with the youth ministry. They've been chaperones before him and his wife, Miracle. And their kids, all four of their kids are in our youth ministry. 
And, um, but he wanted to share with me that he's an atheist, and he doesn't believe in any of this stuff. And he was like, he, he wanted to see if I would change my relationship with him. And I, I don't, I love him just the same. He's the man. And he can cook, man. That guy can cook. <laughs> he makes some great meals. And, uh, and we'll watch the game together and stuff. But, but he, he wanted to share. And what I kept hearing as he was talking about why he's an atheist, is that he went to the church growing up. And his grandma used to bring him. And the pastor always talked about money. And he, he, he drove a nice car, and it was always about money. And there was a ton of people in there being phony. He kept talking about the phoniness of the church. And, and, the, and the last thing he really said was that he even knew drug dealers who were Christians, and they would say things like to him that were, they were friends with him, say like, man, I almost got busted by the cops, but I was praying, and God delivered me so I can keep selling. What witnesses is that of who we are? They're associating with us together. And uh, I want to call people out that they're not with us when they're not really with us. Not because I don't want them to be, but because it's, a, it's confusing to my neighbors. It's confusing to your neighbors. And so when we try to say what the church really is, we, we, we tend to get this kind of false, you know, this false assurance that they're Christians when they're not. And then they're witnessing that they are when they're not. Real Christians are like the New Testament. And that doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that it is just full of hard times, but we find joy in Jesus. We find joy in the, the Christian community together. We find joy in that the fact that we know that God's won the battle even when it looks like a loss. Let me tell you, there's a lot of losses doing ministries in places like Penn Lucy. There's a lot of losses. But the gospel isn't just something we do with our words. You always articulate it with words, but the gospel is something we do in relationships. And my next point is giving your lives away. And there's three things I want to hit here. One, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they were real. If there's one thing that, it, that people in Penn Lucy know well, and I love this about it, because uh, this was not how it was where I grew up in Lutherville, they can find out a phony real quick. They can tell when you're a fake. And if you want to act a certain way or try to be something to fit in and look good and, and all those things, they're going to they're gonna figure that out real quick. And, uh, and Paul and Timothy and Silas did the same thing, the principle of being real. And this is the truth. The gospel allows you to be real. Because I can admit that I'm a full sinner, and I need God's grace, and I don't have to care what you think about me. I should be caring about what God thinks about me. And in that, I can be the most authentic Blake I can be. Right? Number two, so they were real. Number two, they were caring. Verse 6, 7, and 9. We're going to look at those. And number three, they were relational. Number one, they were real. Look at 5, 6 real quick. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. Stop there. He's saying we didn't come to you to tickle your ears and say nice things that you wanted to hear. I don't like when people come and say things that are hard in my life, but I do appreciate them in some ways. And I know that they're probably telling the truth, which is pretty admirable. Number two, they didn't come for greed. And if you look over in verse 9 real quick with me, look over there. It says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. 
money can be a, a stumbling block to people with hearing the gospel. I just talked to somebody the other day. They were at a church. They were trying out a new church, and they showed up on one week where somebody was just tra- trying to talk about money. Let me tell you something. Your pastor, we, we, we work. We are, it's okay to pay us. I'm not saying that that's wrong. What I am saying, though, is that if we start asking for more money so that we can have mansions or we can have nice car, nicer cars and things like that, you have a right to question why we're in this. Because uh, the, the main heart of what we're trying to do, it should be about Christ. And I don't want anybody here to feel guilty if you have money. I come from money. The only difference between rich people and poor people, I tell the kids all the time, is that rich people can hide their sin a little bit better. That's it. Uh, you might have a little bit more opportunities with material things and all that other great stuff, but the real difference between God is that you can just hide your sin from other people better because you have a bigger house and a further away community and a nicer car and you can look better. Rather, when you live in an urban environment where everybody's close to one another, when you're yelling at your wife, everybody hears it. Right? Or when you got your stuff coming outside in the front yard, everybody sees it. That's the only difference. They were real. They were real, and we need to be real. Because if we are false, if we're trying to be something we're not, people will not only pick up on that, but they will also find that the message of the gospel will be phony. Number two, they were caring. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you like nursing mothers talking, taking care of their own children. When you come into places uh, wherever you're ministering, and in particular here in Penn Lucy, uh, you need to take time to listen to people. You need to take time to care about people. You need to take care. You need to think of the needs and not just the gospel being proclaimed and then we're leaving. That's not love. That's not what God wants. God wants redemption. Let me repeat that. God wants redemption. He doesn't just want people to get saved and leave. He wants people to be restored, and that takes time. They were relational, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Listen to the language. He says, desirous of you. We, we wish we could be there with you. I wish I was right there with you right now. They wanted to be with it. The, the, the word desirous actually, it, it can be have uh, a definition of longing to love in the Greek. Longing to love you. You were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves or our own lives. Paul cared about them. He knew them. He was saying, listen to what we have to say because we really love you. We were ready to, to endure conflict for you. We were ready to leave and be with you. We didn't ask for money from you. We came because we genuinely loved God and he called us and we learned to genuinely love you. That's what it looks like when we talk about relocating and reconciling. When you go anywhere, wherever you're at, be there, know the people, and love them. And I want to challenge you that, that if you should think about that in a Penn Lucy way. Maybe not live here, but maybe you maybe it is live here. I love living here. We came home from North Carolina and Lisa said, I love being home. This is our home. 
We don't feel like we're in some sort of mission. I love my neighbors. I don't want to leave. This is a place that I like to call home. You know? And that's because it's become a genuine relationship with people. And I've realized that I don't, in a relationship, it's not a I serve you and you receive. It's a I serve you, you serve me, I receive, you receive. It's a dual thing. Let me share uh, quickly a couple pictures of just a couple kids that uh, I've met. These are the first group of seniors that I had. Um, well, actually, the second group of seniors I had graduate. And uh, when they were sophomores when I got here, 21 now, and uh, we still hang out. We still call each other and text, and we'll do, I think a couple of them were in my fantasy football league. But these guys were guys that accepted me and allowed me to build more relationships in this community. And had they not done that, I, I wouldn't have met most of the kids I know today. These guys, I've cried with these guys. I've had these guys over for dinner. I have learned uh, their, their lives. I've been to their houses. I've met their cousins, their mothers, their grandmothers. I have, it has been a pleasure to know them. And, and I wouldn't have done that had I not been encouraged by God. And I'm not saying this because I'm great. I'm sharing my story to hope that God builds into you a story. I'm not sharing this because I'm great. I'm really terrible. These guys accepted me. I can tell you, I went down to Walter P. Basketball Court. You can't just walk up to Walter P. Basketball Court when you look like me, okay? These guys say, he's cool, he's with us. <laughs> you need that, you know? Next picture. This is my, my wedding day. These are three guys from Lakeland that just had a tremendous impact on us. That's Shaquille Emanuel, and um, I forgot him over there. No, I'm just kidding. We used to call, it's pretty funny, you'll see the next picture. We used to call him Turtle because he, he was big and he looked like a turtle. Flip to the next picture. That's him down here at the bottom. He lost like 60 pounds. And what he taught me was just, man, look at his ability to be someone so young and driven at his age, you know, in eighth grade, to be able to go and do that. And he, would, he decided he was going to bike everywhere. So, but these guys are all graduated from high school now, or seniors, the top left is a senior. And when I come home, their moms just, like, I'm just amazed at how much they still, like, love me and hug me, and, and just, uh, they just, like, embrace me for what I've been able to impact on their kids. But they don't realize how, when I first started out in urban ministry, these were my first guys. I came from a young life background. I didn't know anything about discipline and being tough and all that kind of stuff as far as with kids. They ran me over. My class was like flipped upside down, and these two guys at the bottom had to really coach me. Mr. Blake, you got to do this. Mr. Blake, you, you got to punish this kid now. You know, here, you want to take over? You know, it's like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. But you realize that even with youth, and even youth from the, the communities that we're serving, they're teaching me so many things. And what you don't realize sometimes as Christians, we tend to get a savior complex. And we go into places and we think we're the Savior when we realize Jesus is the Savior. And if you, don't, if you do that, what you're doing is you're making yourself God again. You see, you're sinning. You need to repent of that. And you need to think of those people with value. You need to think of yourself in a more humble way. You need to realize that people cross-cultural and people maybe on a lower economic status have so much to offer you. Next picture real quick, and I'll finish. This is Seven Elijah. 
Uh, they're from the Penn Lucy community. UC7, he's, he's the most holy person in church because he comes to both the 830 and the 11 every week. Most of you guys aren't even awake at that time, are you? I, I wouldn't be either if I didn't have to preach. Seven and Elijah come over for Christmas every year for the last five years. We're missing two pictures, but we have gotten to meet them, and because we've gotten to meet them and love them and pour them, we got to meet their mother, who's just a prayer warrior. She goes to Church of the Redeemed down the street, and she is just the mo most amazing woman. She, she has really um, helped me be able to connect with other people in the community. Uh, if it wasn't for her, uh, I wouldn't know maybe half the people I know. She is, uh, she prayed for us so many times. She's texted me at night and just felt like the Lord's telling me to pray for you, Blake. And I'm just so blessed by her. I would never, never have met her, you know, if I didn't listen to God and, and take the calling I think like he gave me and my wife. And so we, you don't, you miss out on those things. You realize how wonderful some of these people are in Penn Lucy. And the next picture, you know Mark Quest. Um, we got to go to a Ravens game. He's a Giants fan, but he has recently repented of being so angry towards the Ravens. So, so we're thankful for him. Uh, Mark Quest has helped me as a sinner lower my stereotypes that there are not that many smart people in communities like this. He's brilliant. He's so smart. And if you get to know him and talk to him, he might not have the academic language that you think of with smart people, but if you really listen to him, he is so wise and smart with so many things. And I, I, I'm just amazed. Uh, we, we've, we always have a joke whenever I drop him off, we have to park for 30 minutes and talk. Because, and my wife always texts me, where are you? Uh, and it's just we, just, we just have the best conversations. He's a true brother in Christ. And uh, I just love him and I'm, I'm thankful for him. But here's the thing. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were all relational with the gospel ministry. And the last point I want to hit is in verses 11 and 12 as we close out today. 11 and 12 is my last point, giving them dignity. Giving them dignity. For you know how like a father with his child, children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and changed you to, charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into this own kingdom and glory. There are three things Paul ends with there. We exhorted you, we charged you, and we encouraged you. Those are all words of language that say that we want you to be independent of us, not dependent on us. Spiritually, they want them to grow to become followers of God where they didn't need them to be stopping in all the time. The end game is to empower people. And if you're not doing ministry that way, then what you're doing is you're creating a charity like we talked about earlier. And charity is necessary sometimes where people are really in need. But the ultimate thing as the church, what we want to do is disciple. And if we're not discipling and empowering people to own their faith with God, and to know that God cares about them and he can do great things in them without us, then what we're doing again is we're falling into the temptation of becoming our, uh, the God in their lives. We're lacking humility and we need to repent. But Paul doesn't just end there with a spiritual empowerment. He wants to empower people with economical gain too. Go over to chapter 4. Go to verse 10 and go down where it says, but, 
But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to, the, to, be quiet, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. We do not want people to be dependent on us. We want to empower people to have skills. We want to empower people to be individuals who can follow God and be respected as witnesses of God on the outside. When you come into communities like this, Penn Lucy, you need to have humility and you need to listen. Bring the gospel, bring it with words, bring it with your life, but listen, because those stories God uses to change you, and God uses your story to change them. But this is the thing. You must understand that unless you get people to learn how to have the skills with their hands, or with their minds today, to be able to provide for themselves, they're going to be stuck. And we as a church don't want them to be. We as a church want to pray. We as a church want to give our time and our resources to empower people to be followers of Jesus and learn how to read the scriptures, go to church, and learn the, the means of grace to be holy. But we also want to teach them out of our lives and our, 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 our want to worship God that we want them to be successful here in a way where they can walk respectfully and have dignity. We want that for people. I lose the microphone? Okay, I got it. So let's close on the question we started with. I asked a question in the beginning. I said, how did my friend Tim get this boldness to be able to serve authentically like this? Right? That was our opening question. And the answer is this. It's the same way Paul, in this text, got his boldness. It's in understanding and knowing and loving Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Why move into a neighborhood that is under-resourced and undesirable according to man? Because Jesus left heaven and moved into a neighborhood that was undesirable. John 1.14 Why do I care about the poor and the oppressed? Because Jesus cared about the poor and the oppressed. Luke 4, 18 and 19 Why do I care about empowering the people I minister to? Because Jesus cared about empowering the people. Matthew 10 when he sent the disciples out. Why do I cry over the people in my, in my community? Because Jesus cried over the people in his community. Luke 19, 41. Why give our lives away to people we don't know? Because Jesus gave his life for you and I when we didn't know who he was. Jesus came and entered in our lives when we didn't know who he was. And when he said he was a king, we said, where's your crown? When he said he was the king, we said, where's your army? When he said, where's the, I'm the king, we said, where's your money? And he said, believe the kingdom is here. I will make all things new. We pray for redemption. We know it's coming. We pray for empowerment for people because we know that God wants to empower us to follow him with his Holy Spirit. Jesus is the reason. You worship out of Jesus. You do things out of Jesus. You're motivated out of Jesus. You love because of Jesus. You can't outgive because of a Jesus. It's Jesus all day.
Let's pray. Father God, thank you that it's Jesus all day. Thank you, Lord God, that you, that you entered into our lives when we were undesirable. That you loved us when we didn't even know who you were. And that, Lord, you didn't come to just save us in three days and leave, but you actually spent time with us. You learned us. You care about us. Lord Jesus, we repent of our sin and we follow you. We know we're not the Savior, you are. We ask that we would just be faithful witnesses, Lord. Faithful witnesses in Penn, Lucy, Baltimore, and the world. Amen.